Hi, this is Matt Sleppin, and welcome to Leading Voices in Real Estate. You will notice that today's release is outside of our every other week release model because today's podcast is actually me being interviewed rather than me interviewing. Jeff Large, who I've had the pleasure of working with over the past several months as the editor of season two of Leading Voices, is interviewing me on his podcast, the Jeff Large Podcast, which we are re-releasing here today in Leading Voices. Jeff is a tech guy and a podcast maven, and his podcast explores those subjects, not real estate. In the interview, I get to talk both about recruiting in the real estate world and some of my observations about leadership from my own experience from working with clients in all aspects of the business and through the stories that we have together heard to date through the podcast. I'm a bit reluctant to be the subject of the conversation, but after listening back to the interview, I really focused on those themes in my heart about approaching business from the perspective of passion and making a contribution, and I thought that would be worth sharing with our listeners. Through TerraSearch and through Leading Voices, we're focusing on leadership matters, not ourselves building buildings, but I think that the discussion is clearly relevant to the themes that we've been exploring with leaders across the industry in the podcast series. I hope that you enjoy the show, and in this episode in particular, would love your ideas and feedback. Please pass the episode and the podcast on to your friends, and feel free to rate us and Jeff's show on iTunes. Welcome to the Jeff Large Podcast, a show where I dive into the stories of business owners, experts, and specialists to discover the principles of their success. On today's episode, we discuss the art of hiring well and the qualities of good leadership. Please welcome Matt Sleppin. Matt is founder and managing partner at Terra Search Partners. We're based in San Francisco. We work nationally. We do executive search and we do it just in the real estate business. Matt is also the host of the Leading Voices in Real Estate podcast. This is a show where he interviews some of the most successful, interesting, and entrepreneurial people who are building and shaping our cities. Full disclosure, this is how I know Matt. We produce his podcast. But it's through listening to his interviews and getting to know him more through working together that made me want to invite him on our show. He has over 20 years of experience in the real estate industry, and he's been running Terra since 2006. It's through this work and his podcast that he understands the qualities of great leadership and knows how to make excellent hires, both of which are qualities that would probably benefit most of our businesses. So to start, I had Matt define what it actually means to be a recruiter. For people that maybe aren't familiar, let's just start with the the Terra aspect of it. And let's start with what does it mean like you help find people to work executive stuff? Like what does that actually mean to the, the normal everyday person? Sure. So people think about headhunters. That's so a word that is in the popular culture, uh, but or recruiters, executive recruiters, and so we're in that business. And in that business, companies hire us to find people to sit in executive chairs. So, for example, uh, and, and our clients are just in the real estate business, but this is uh, can can be in any in any business, but a company will hire us to find, let's say, a chief financial officer or a chief executive officer. And we will consult with them to think deeply through that position, what it means, what the company is all about. And then we'll go look for people. You think that it's all about looking and for and finding people, but actually the trick of 
recruiting is half finding the person, but then half understanding the people you find and understanding the client so that they fit really well together. There's a matchmaking component to it and a deep consulting component. Okay. I want to, let's, I'm going to table that for a second. So with that aspect in mind, why did you settle on real estate as your main vertical or your main niche? (laughs) Well, I'm a real estate guy. So the first 20 years of my career were in the real estate business in the real estate space. And I came to search, uh, therefore halfway through my career, but I came to search as a job. My wife had a job relocation. We lived in DC. We moved to the West coast. I was what in the industry we call a trailing spouse. And I was the one who had to look for a job. I was 40 years old, moved to a different city, other side of the country. I knew a lot about different things in real estate. So I knew my career would remain in my industry. And I wound up falling into search and almost within weeks, I found this was the job for me and the, the business for me. But I'm a real estate guy more than a search guy. What was the story behind the search portion? I mean, you, you summed it up very quickly with you fell into it. But what did that actually look like? How did that play out? Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I did what people do when they're looking for a job. And so I met with a couple of recruiters when I came to town. Of course, I networked deeply among contacts I had in the industry, but among those contacts, I was referred to a couple of recruiters. That's a funny story. I was told to call this one guy, who's who's still my friend, his name is Peter Hall, and he kept not meeting with me, uh, which recruiters tend to do because they're busy people and time is of the essence. And But then one day, I bumped into him at a party, and a work party, and I was talking to a very important person, the host of the party, and he couldn't get into that conversation. So I guess by association, I seem like an important person to Peter. And then I introduced myself to him and said, hey, we've been trying to get together. He said, oh, yes, let's do that. <laughs> and uh, so we then met, and uh, he gave me some career counseling because I was trying to figure out what was next for me. And a couple of weeks later, he called and said, hey, you want to come to my office? I have an idea. And I went to his office and he said, so how about search? Maybe that's for you. And uh, I thought he was crazy, but I was intrigued. And I did it half time for a couple months while I looked for a real job. Uh, but that half time quickly became full time and then a partnership. Hmm. Okay. So I'm thinking about it from the context. I think it would be most applicable for our audience uh, just as maybe agency owners or business owners that are considering hiring people. So that's kind of our context. But I'm wondering, like, I'm I'm sure with the amount of time that you've put into this now, you have systems and things. And so how if if I was going to hire you to help me hire someone, what would be the first step? How does that process look? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. Let me describe a little bit more about search because it breaks into essentially two and maybe now three categories. So first of all, when, when we, in the popular press, you read about how to write your resume. And in the popular press, particularly if you listen to podcasts, you hear a lot about uh, online job hunting. We deliver you perfect candidates within the first day. I think I heard that on my, on my walk this morning on one of the podcasts. And so one way of search is kind of more electronic 
and through the internet. And there's major services that do that. And those searches, those services are parsing resume electronically. So when people say, hey, here's how, what you have to do with your resume, that advice comes about electronic parsing. Then the second thing is there are what, what's called contingency search firms, and they work more at the low end. And basically, a company will hire a contingent recruiter, and the contingent recruiter's fee is contingent, meaning if they make a placement, they get a fee. And usually that's at the lower end administrative staff and people up to maybe $200,000 of income is kind of handled by the contingency recruiter world. They don't have skin in the game. They're not really consultants or advisors. They're popping resumes into a client. The retain search business, which is what we do, is for higher-end professionals, and it usually starts with people who make two or $300,000 or more. So you don't you can't afford or do retain search at a lower end on a typical basis, but that's, that's how it is for us. And in that case, a client hires us as their advisor, less as their broker. And the business terms are pretty consistent through the industry, but we get about half of our fee, which is a third of anticipated first year's compensation base and bonus. We get about half of our fee in retainers and the other half of the fee when the butt hits the chair. Mm-hmm. And so so that's what we do and that's how the business runs and that's how the business runs as compared to both contingent recruiting and kind of online recruiting. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the important thing is when a client works with a retained search firm, hopefully they're getting a consultant and an advisor who will help them deeply. And that's why a specialization really matters because you have to know the business, not just to find bodies, but to understand needs. Mm -hmm. And that's where the secret sauce is and both a passion about an industry, but again, deep knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can table it right there. One of the themes that comes up really often on the podcast lately, and then even in the friend circles, professional circles that I speak with is this idea of focus. And I feel like in the beginning, a lot of the time you're like, why in the world would I turn away people or potential money? (laughs) Like is what people are going to normally view it. But the more any decision I've ever made throughout the, my, my own journey to Mm -hmm. focus in tighter has always proven better overall. And it just makes things easier. Like you said, where I'm able to, even right now is some of the issues that we're running into. It's like, from a technical standpoint, I know I'm going to be visiting these again on how to produce a podcast Mm -hmm. well and how to integrate it into the website and learning all the nuances that I wouldn't get this much explicit action with if it wasn't for the fact that I picked one thing to do. Totally true. So, yeah, it's funny. And, and in the world of world of real estate, you know, and you may have come to the podcast saying, well, you're focusing in real estate. What a narrow focus that is. It's actually a very broad focus. Because if you think of my industry, real estate industry, you can break it into, uh, we call it the four food groups, office, multifamily, retail, industrial, or hospitality or residential. And, you know, there's all these different sub industries and each of those sub industries could feed a recruiter. Mm -hmm. In fact, the sub sub industry, a certain part of the office business or the apartment business would be 
plenty to work on and become an expert at because you could just keep drilling. A hundred percent. No, a hundred percent with you. Like real estate in general definitely does not sound, I mean, it's niche in the sense that it's an industry. I mean, compared to like, we service everyone. Um, and I think maybe that's the unique right. part of what you're doing is the fact that you're a search company, but you're a search company in this specific space. And then that's how it's, it's a, and then not to mention you're a search company in this specific space. Like you said, that's sort of working with the upper, upper echelon or with the fancy words, the, the upper tier of people that need right. to get placed. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Okay. So then going back to the actual process, I, I'm this, mm-hmm. um, real estate agency, I need to hire an upper level manager. How are you going to start me off? What, what does the process look like? Yeah. So the first thing is, and so let's make it real and let's go back to the chief financial officer for a company that owns a, you know, 10,000 units of apartments or something just mm-hmm. to, to make the concept real. Okay. So the first thing is they'll We'll reach business terms. That's the easiest part of this. So they'll select the search firm because we're not the only ones who do what we do. But you make a conscious choice about who you're going to work with. And then again, my way to look at it is you're bringing the search partner in as your advisor. You're, you're opening the kimono. You're letting them into the tent with you. And the more you understand that it's about letting them into the tent more than go find me bodies, that's really the differential. And it sets it up for success. And then what the search firm needs to do and the client together is take a deep dive into what are you all about? What's, what's the company? How do I get someone to come join you? Why should they join you? Why shouldn't they join someone else? And then what do you need in this particular, we're back to the CFO example, what do you need in this CFO? Is it an operational CFO? Is it an investment banking CFO? Is it a finance person? What, what, what's going to move the needle for you and make a difference? And that's a lot of conversation. It's often not just the conversation between the CEO and the search professional. It may be a day of meetings at the company. Um, I like to go to the client for, you know, half a day or a full day. The way I, my metaphor for it is I'm, a, I'm adjusting my lens or I'm, defining the catcher's mitt. So when candidates come into the catcher's mitt, we know what we're catching. Yeah. But that takes a lot of fine tuning and a lot of listening and a lot of curiosity, vulnerability on both sides, a willingness to dig deep and understand. Yeah. So that's phase one. Let me, let me, let me pause you on phase one. Cause I do have one question. What are the, mm-hmm. what are the elements or the qualities of the businesses that tend to be more successful in that phase? Like what are they doing or actually what, what are they aware of? What do they know about themselves? Mm, It's a really good question. You know, it's across the board. What we find is when a a client wants us to just get them bodies versus think deeply about what those bodies mean, then we tend to do our best work. Mm -hmm. So our, 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 our mediocre work occurs when it's get me three or four of them now quick. I need them tomorrow. And I keep saying the same thing, but, but that does not inspire us, but forget about inspiration. It doesn't set anyone up for good success. Yeah. And once they realize, wow, this CFO role is impactful in our organization. I'm not just looking for a generic person. I want someone who's going to be here for 15 years and make a difference. 
and I want them to fit, and I know that the difference they make in the company will be cultural as well as technical. So companies that look at it that way and think about it that way and then engage in a deep process to, as they talk to candidates, and then, of course, if they use us as advisors along the way, that, that sets up both a satisfying process, but we think ultimately the best outcome. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, and so. that could be any kind of company. It could be big, small, institutional, mom or pop. It's more the behavior than it is the design of the company that helps us be successful that way. Okay. Is there like a, is it just simply an understanding? Like they understand what the role is that they're trying to fill or are there qualities? Like I think, for example, when I bring new people onto my team, it's not an end all be all, but I definitely like looking at their results from a couple of select personality tests. Like I'll look at their Myers-Briggs or I'll mm-hmm. look at their, um, the strength finders from Gallup poll and kind of see if, if they have things to help fill gaps that we might have as a team. Are there things that the companies are doing like specific like that, or is it just more of an understanding? No, it, it's actually both. So, um, and, and we look at two, two sides of the equation. So the first side of the equation is what's the skill set that you're looking for? What's the background? What's the experience? And, and, and that I call that relatively objective. Um, and then we look at the personality side and of course that's subjective. I have a high degree of confidence in my ability to assess the objective stuff and you're still assessing people. So, you know, people are, are, are not precise. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a lower degree of certainty that my assessment of people's personality is going to be the same as your assessment of personality. So that's the intuitive part, and it's iterative in a process. So what we try to do is we have candidate interviews. You know, they go through three, four, five interviews with a client. We try to set it up in different environments and different tests and different situations so you get a pretty good feeling about what's going on with that person. Mm-hmm. We ourselves don't administer personality tests, although a lot of our clients do, and we support them in doing that, and it's good additional data. I don't believe that going into a process saying we're looking for you know, a Myers-Biggs brief person in the you know, one of 16 quadrants and we only hire people in this quadrant. I don't, life doesn't work that way. It's not that neat. Also, if everyone in the company is in the same quadrant, you're going to have a bad company. Mm-hmm. So you got to meet the people and figure them out and then see what the impacts are. Yeah. The, the last thing is it's not just the clients, you know, the client hires us because we understand nuances of these positions too, having done them many times and understanding what's real in the industry. And so the search is a surprise along the way versus we've developed this precise definition of the role, get us someone who fits this precise thing, who has that personality and we're done. You know, life isn't that way. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm just thinking maybe more important than even the phases, like say, cause you were, I cut you off before you were able to go into phase two, but I think yeah. the, the more important thing is, I just see a lot of agencies and especially when they're starting out or like freelancers when they're starting out and they're looking at getting new help um, or even, uh-huh. even people that have established companies like 
the wrong hire can really put you back. It can really put you back. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering, are there any other successful like qualities that help ensure success when hiring that you can think of from what you've observed of what you've done for the past several years? Yeah. And, and I, it's interesting. Cause I just said, I, I don't diminish the personality type thing and, and I won't speak in personality types, but I'll speak in terms of the, those people that I'm not comfortable recommending to folks. Okay. And I think that particularly the, the personality type of the chest beater, the non-listener, the over talker, um, those are things that in most roles aren't useful. So there are qualities, and maybe, maybe sometimes they're qualities more like mine, so therefore I like them. But, you know, curiosity, some level of being humble, caring about others, understanding others. There's things I watch for in interviews. Uh, one of my favorite things to watch for are people who talk about mentors, people who talk about their teams, not just themselves. Uh, those are tests for me that suggest leadership. And, and you didn't ask the question because team members are different than leaders on team members. But what leadership qualities tend to come to the fore, and, and these are some of them. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's a, a beautiful segue because that was the next thing that I'm curious about. Like for anybody that is familiar with your work, you have the podcast, Leading Voices. And so you're looking at... Mm -hmm leaders within the real estate space, you in many ways are seeking out leaders, you're advising leaders, and so you just have a lot of experience there. What are the qualities of a good leader? Um, you know, I'll say a couple different things. And the, the podcast is one place, but my client group is another. And, you know, what have I seen both in interviewing people in the podcast and working with leaders of companies, what are some of the common qualities? So one thing is they all, almost all of them, if not every one of them, comes from some deep, some depth of knowledge in the industry that they grew up in. So what do I mean by that? Um, they don't just land on the moon and become a leader. They grow up in the industry and they grow up by being exceptional through the pathways that they grow. And in my industry, unlike the books that you read about like GE, where people rotate through this division and that division because they were born to be a leader and they just, they're like a generic person at the end of the day. Um, I, I'm kind of a believer that the generic person doesn't get there from just being a leader. The, the person gets there because they are exceptional rising up the finance side of the business or the development side of the business or the management or operations, whatever the kind of business. And this is generic. It doesn't have to be the functions within real estate, but they're great at that. And then as they've achieved mastery on a part of the business that really matters, then they tend to get their head up above the water and realize that they want to lead. And it's time for them not to produce or just handle that function, but, wow, how does all this fit together? So people have a quality that makes that work. So what's the, they, they come to leadership from a deep background and deep understanding of the industry. They move up a level to understand their business holistically. They love what they do. 
that is one consistent element. And I feel it the same way and I feel it more every day, which is I can't wait to go to work. I can't wait to make a difference. You see there's a purpose and a meaning to it. And I think great leaders pretty much consistently, they're not there just for the bottom line. Um, money's a byproduct. And that's probably not really the case in the world. But to me, it, you know, the great leader wants to run a company to a great job and the money's a byproduct of that great job. So I think those are all elements uh, that matter. I could go on, but those are the key. Yeah, no, those are those are clearly really important. Um, man, who do you who are some leaders that you admire, and why do you admire them? Yeah, so in this, this these I can pick from the podcast because it's just fun to have you know conversations with people who have done it, and also the listeners to this could refer to some folks. And I'm not going to suggest it's because necessarily they're great leaders, but they have done exceptional things in their business. And and they have exceptional stories about how they got there. One of my favorites from the podcast uh, was, is a woman named Marion Ty, and she's the uh, chief executive officer, I think, of the New York region of CB, which is a major, one of the major services firms, brokerage firms in the, in the country. And she came to real estate at age 36, which breaks all my rules. Cause I like, you got to work hard and go up this silo in order to become strong. She'd never heard of real estate before she was 36. And then she rose within 10 years to the top of the heap in New York, the most competitive city in the world in a male dominated industry as a female. And that was 20 years ago when she got to the top and she's been there ever since. So how do you do that? And it's because she was just really, really good. And it wasn't because she was aggressive. I don't think it was, she probably has some elbows, but I don't think that would be what defined the, I don't think the sharp elbows got her to the place. It was knowing how to do exceptional work at a different level than anybody else. And she brought that to the table and made that happen. And her story about how she got there is, is just hugely compelling. Another story also from the podcast is there's a company called Camden Property Trust, which is an apartment REIT. It's one of the five or six major apartment REITs and one of the first ones that went public 20 years ago, whatever. And it's co-led. So there's a CEO president and they're, they, they co-run the company, which is unique. But the other unique thing is that about halfway through their history, they decided to get on the Fortune 100 best places to work. And they believed if they achieved that and achieved that consistently, that that would transform the company. But they were already almost there because they wanted to be there, you know, inherently. But that goal and articulating that goal and having everyone pull together, um, it's like getting a camel through the eye of a needle. It's really hard. That bar is really high, particularly to do it for I think 15 years running or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's an intentionality around that and an intentionality around mission purpose and people. So those are just a couple stories. I guess another one from the podcast, uh, I interviewed uh, Sam Zell, who uh, is, uh, became controversial last week, I think uh, in, in the papers, but he's always been a controversial guy, but, you know, he's created a multi-sector real estate business among the most successful people in our industry. And how did he do that? He he had the 
guts and balls in college to start selling his services to people. And early on from that age, he was an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur who, again, had the guts and confidence to go for it. Um, so all different stories all around the spectrum, but really people who make a difference. And the last story, just because this is a podcast that came out today, and this is leadership in a different way. It's civic leadership because uh, the podcast today, we interviewed a guy named John Ram, who is the head of planning for the city of San Francisco. So you think, okay, how does bureaucracy fit into leadership? Maybe those are mutually exclusive words. But here's someone who's done that for 35, 40 years, done it exceptionally well, and now doing it in one of the um, most quickly changing and diverse and challenging cities in the world. But if you listen to him, his level of understanding, his level of commitment, his the level of love for urban environments is obvious and huge, and the wisdom that comes after a 40-year career is significant, bring a lot to the table. So I think all those things are leaders in different ways. Mm-hmm. Man, what kind of what kind of leader do you strive to be? Interesting. Harder to answer that question, <laughs> I have to tell you. But a couple things. Uh, one, externally, um, I've tried to be a thought leader and someone who cares and someone who listens. And I, I, I came to it late because it takes years before you, you know, who would say, hey, I'm a thought leader as a 20-year-old or a 25-year-old. But along the way, you find that you're probably there and you So you have a, a, you know, so for me, I have a tendency to want to listen. I have a tendency to want to be an advisor. I have a tendency to want to add value. And I think I'm thinking that's an external skill set, but it's actually equally an internal skill set. And what I found two thirds of the way through my career is that my success and my happiness becomes not just about my own contribution but actually about having a company around me where I can teach and work and mentor and have those who can love it as much as I do and, and be as wonderful with clients and candidates and all that as, as, as I think I am. <laughs> and um, so teaching that is really something that inspires me a lot. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. So one one slightly side question. We talked about, you mentioned several of the people that were on your cast. Why do you podcast? Because I'm curious specifically just because this is what we do. We produce them all the time and we have people come to us um, like huh. yourselves right. wanting help in order to do it. Like what are, what are those kind of core reasons that you think it's worth your time to run a podcast? Uh-huh. Um, first I'll tell you how I got to it and then I'll describe why I like to do it because there were maybe two separate things. So I spend in in the real estate world, but it's probably the same in in most industries. We have trade associations and industry organizations that we get involved with. And there's an organization I was, had been deeply involved with for the past 30 years uh, called the urban land Institute. And um, I was a volunteer as everyone is (laughs) here trade group uh, with urban land Institute. And I wasn't, getting the opportunities for leadership that I wanted. And I was, please, how can I help? How can I help? And one day the CEO of the organization said, 
call call this woman Ellen. I have we have an idea for you. And I called this woman Ellen and Ellen opened the conversation. She said, Hey Matt, do you listen to podcasts? And I said, Oh my God, yes. And she said, Well, what do you listen to? And I started listing all these interview shows that I listened to kind of religiously on my bike rides, <laughs> which maybe that's dangerous, but that's what I do. And she said, Well, how would you like to be the Terry Gross for our industry? And so I'm getting goosebumps as I'm telling you the story because, you know, the answer has got to be, oh, yes, please let me. How could I do that? And um, I didn't realize that, you know, that level of passion and desire was something I always had. And so we tried the podcast and I immediately took to it. It was immediately comfortable and immediately fun and actually immediately easy because I interview companies to help figure out that catcher's mitt we talked about before. When we start a search, I spend a day deep diving on tell me about your company and help me understand it and being curious about it. And I do the same with people. So when I got to do it in the podcast environment, it was easy, natural, and my curiosity plus my pretty deep knowledge about the industry made it, I think, useful. So that's how I got into it. And then... I think there's two reasons for our doing it. One is it clearly is of synergistic benefit to my business. There's no doubt about that. So I think thought leadership is a great way to help grow a business with credibility and, and all the rest that comes with it. But the second thing equally, and you could probably tell some of this from the conversation, is that I think our industry is pretty cool. And I think that I have a mission within the industry, which is to show the diversity of contribution that our companies make to our cities and the diversity of the kinds of leaders and the stories that they have and how they got there. And I think it's inspiring both for leaders, but also for young people who are thinking about navigating a career, both to be inspired that here's a place I can make a difference any niche of real estate. And then the second thing is, oh, here's the pathway. This person was able to do it. That person was able to do it. And here's how they went about it. And those are the stories we tell. And God, I'm just so lucky to get to tell those stories to other people. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. So for our listeners, if they were going to have one takeaway from this podcast, uh, a to-do or something you could challenge them with, what would it be? Oh, you know, it's interesting I think for me, my suggestion is find a meaning and a purpose in the work that you do and then become rabid about that meaning and purpose and have that invest how you do what you do day to day. What do you mean by the second part? The second part? Yeah, the second part about um, how you have that meaning invest like in the day to day. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I, but the quip to that is if you don't know, you're not going to get there. So, oh, no. But, <laughs> not, not you, Jeff, because you do know. <laughs> but, no, I think it's really interesting because I think, you know, I'm into the 80-20 rule. So, you know, I think 80% of people show up to do their job. and They do a great job, and it's fine. I think if you're able to invest the things that you do every day with meaning and depth and purpose and mission and – excitement and interest and intellectual curiosity, right? These are all kind of similar words and similar meanings. But if you're able to come to the job you do day to day 
with that kind of passion and that kind of interest, then I think it takes it to the next level. And for someone who's a programmer or someone who's a podcast host or someone who's a CEO, if it's just that we're doing a great job and we're making money or we're, we're getting as much numbers as we can, I think the next level is finding the meaning in it that you want to do it forever and you want to go to work every day because there's, there's something else there and I can't describe it any better than I am. And we try to invest our team members in that. And that might be the thing I look for in candidates as well. All right. No, that's, that's helpful. So if our listeners want to learn more about you and what you're up to, where can they go? Yeah, well, two places. We have two websites. One is uh, TerraSearch Partners. So it's go to www.terrasearchpartners.com. And then leadingvoicespodcast.com is the website for the podcast. Excellent. All right, Matt, thank you for your time. Welcome. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, listeners. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode of Leading Voices. If you like the episode, please rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, and feel free to comment via our website, leadingvoicespodcast.com, or to me at matt at terrasearchpartners.com. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.